0: Thanks for listening to Reimagining the Internet from the Institute for Digital Public Infrastructure at UMass Amherst. We're hosting an ongoing discussion with researchers, activists, academics, techies, and journalists about what's wrong with the Internet and how we might fix it. I'm your host, Ethan Zuckerman. Hi, welcome to Reimagining the Internet. This is Ethan Zuckerman, your host. I'm here today with Liz Pelly. Uh, who's a journalist and media critic who's published everywhere from Rolling Stone, The Guardian, Pitchfork, NPR, The New York Times. She often writes for The Baffler, where she's a contributing editor. And she writes a great deal about the impact of streaming services and platform technologies on music. She's got deep, deep roots, uh, not only uh, with the DIY scene uh, in Boston, New York, as a member of the Silent Barn Collective, uh, but also with the alternative media and sort of indie weekly space. Uh, And lately, she's someone who's really sort of opening my eyes uh, to the way that the audio web and sort of Spotify in particular uh, are trying very hard uh, to reshape the world of music online. Uh, So Liz, so happy to have you here. Uh, I want to ask you the uncomfortable question we ask everybody, um, which is, what's wrong with the internet, or in this case, the the music and audio web, and uh, what should we do about it?
1: Thank you so much for having me. Um, Yeah, it's really interesting. I think that when you think about the problems with um, I think this phrase you use, the audio web, that's really interesting. It's not something I've heard before. Um, when I think about the problems of like um, music technology or the way that music exists online, it's really the same problems that we see elsewhere on the internet. Increasingly, the world of music online is controlled by a small handful of corporations that care more about their own bottom lines and their own profits than they do about the individuals and communities whose work circulates on their platform. Um, And increasingly, the world of music is beholden to these small group of companies like Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, YouTube, um, that really aren't concerned with the long-term health of music communities.
0: So let's back up a little bit and, and, and talk a bit about how we got here, right? So there was this digital shift where music labels went from being these immensely profitable businesses selling us plastic or vinyl discs um, to a business that looked like it was going to evaporate entirely because we were all going to share mp3s on napster and no one was going to make any money anymore Uh, and we had this sort of stretch of time where musicians in some ways became volunteers and everybody had a Patreon and was sort of finding a way to, to make their living between gigging uh, and, and donations. But now it feels like the money's back in the space. There are these huge players in the space. What... Um, what led to sort of the rise of these major companies, and particularly Spotify, as sort of central controlling figures within uh, the music space or, and hey, I just coined the term the audio web, but let's use it, the audio <laughs> web?
1: Yeah, well, there's a lot of different ways that that different individuals and groups like to characterize what has happened within music over the past like several decades and one of these prevailing myths I think that has really propped up um the the streaming economy is like this idea that they have saved the music industry and returned music to profitability um but the problem um with the streaming economy is that Similar to how the music industry has always existed, there's a really small group of um, major labels and celebrity artists that profit in the system and all other artists like continue um, struggling. Like, you know, just because there's um, a greater amount of money being made by music doesn't mean that um, uh, that wealth is being, you know, uh, trickling down to like your your average working independent artist or like um local musician yeah yeah totally so um the the issues you know um c- continue to exist, but there there has been like you know this this narrative that has been pushed that um streaming has been this sort of like s- saving grace for music um which it has not been it actually you know the the streaming platforms um they carry out all of the the same ways of creating value that other social media platforms do um you know what we've seen in the streaming era is um a rise of streaming services as gatekeepers um, that control like which music gets heard and not heard um, it's not like this democratic process um, determining who succeeds and who fails in the streaming era it's um, a lot of you know major label artists because major labels are you know own significant shares in companies like Spotify um, and through the licensing deals that they have with these companies they're guaranteed certain um, you know, Advertising spaces and um, promotional partnerships and stuff like that. Um, so when you open a streaming service and you like look at the front page, you know what you're seeing is very um, influenced by um, the same. Uh, economic and power interests that have like always controlled the music industry. Um, at the same time, there's also, um, a rise of what I've referred to in articles as stream bait. Um, you know, similar issues that you have, um, to like how clickbait has affected the journalism sphere. Um, there's different types of music that, um, streaming services are really concerned with boosting engagement on their platform the same way that, uh, Um, platform like Facebook is concerned with engagement on its own platform so they're really concerned with prioritizing music that will stream well or that people will play in the background and not really give a second thought to um, you know they just stuff that people will just stream and stream and stream Um, so that has affected like um, what types of artists can um, succeed on these platforms.
0: What do you think about this question of Spotify and other players in the podcast space um, as publishers.
1: The article that I wrote about podcasting for The Baffler that came out this week, was the point of it was mostly um, to look at how musicians have struggled in the streaming environment and to try to say, hey, a lot of the same things that musicians have dealt with for the past decade are issues that... that podcasters are going to start facing as the streaming companies that musicians have already had to deal with are starting to be more centralized powers um, in the world of, like, podcasting and news. Um, You know, the subhead of the article was, the media is learning what musicians already know. Spotify only works for the stars. Um, So... Um, I have spent a lot more time thinking about like the music world. Um, and I think that in some ways what, um, I'm like trying to suggest is, you know, in the article, I say musicians have always been like canaries in the coal mine in terms of how, um, like media trends go. And, um, the past couple of months, I feel like I saw a lot of, um, critics were trying to parse, like, whether um, Spotify is the YouTube of podcasts or whether it's the Netflix of podcasts. And I just kept thinking, Spotify is the Spotify of podcasts. They're doing all the same stuff that musicians have dealt with. And I, I think that, you know, um, people trying to figure out, like, what to do um, in podcasting would be, like, well advised to tune into, like, what musicians have been, like, screaming about for the past decade, um, you know. um I think that there's there's a lot to be learned, and in terms of music, like I don't think it's a question of like will we come up with um, alternatives for the music world. It's like we have to because currently there aren't a lot of options for. Um, non-major label artists to make a living or, you know, sometimes not even make a living, just like not be exploited on in, in terms of like how they distribute their music online. Um, and there have been like some signs over the past few years of um, new methods and practices that have been gaining in popularity, um, that are more focused on like compensating artists more fairly and um, working to like, you know, um, create context in, in interesting ways. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think that there's like any doubt in my mind that the music world like figures out, um, ways to, you know, get past the streaming era.
0: So when you talk about what musicians have been screaming about for, for the scream uh, for the streaming era or, or the streaming and screaming era, um, I know that you've talked about, um, the incredible concentration of wealth with StarX and the fact that it just isn't a particularly good deal for anybody else. You've talked about um, payola and playlists and the fact that these are not neutral, that, that people are, are paying for prominence uh, within these streams. You've talked about this idea of, um, Intermediating the relationship uh, with the fans, that you know, I think of myself very much as a welcome to Night Vale fan. I feel like I have a a, a relationship um, with the creators of that and the cast behind it. But if suddenly my relationship is is with Spotify and and that's just a piece of content that sort of appears on it, are there other aspects of um, kind of the Spotify logic? that musicians should be afraid of and that podcasters should be getting ready to, to see happen to them.
1: You know, there's been this sort of general, like, flattening out of um, the the experience of being a music fan in the streaming era, but it's also just sort of the way that the streaming environment, like, um, atomizes and, and disempowers the people who are making the work that Mm. powers the whole thing, right? Um, So I think that's also um, an important part of the, the conversation as well. And, like, thinking about how, you know, the... The idea of, like, being an independent musician, I think, has been really exploited by the music industry in recent years who have tried to, like, push this narrative of, oh, you don't need a record label. You can just be this independent musician who, um, you know, uses the Spotify for Artists app and, like, um, records your music and uploads it and sends it to our pay- playlist um curators and we have all these videos that you can watch where you can like learn how to like hustle your way up to the top on the spotify charts and all of this stuff um and i feel like it's you know it's it's a really like major like you know Gig economy mindset, which in past articles I've written about is just like absurd because of the extent to which the gig economy, you know, art musicians are the original. Right.
0: They, workers, they, you they, know? This isn't like so. Uber, where, you know, the notion of becoming a, a, a taxi driver as, as a gig job might be new. It's It's been a gig job for 99.9% of musicians for, for the last, you know, couple of thousands uh, of years in one fashion or another. How, how do we? How do we fix this? So, mm. if Spotify is maybe sort of the, the the worst example of what we might call streaming logic, or you know, digital music logic, in which um, the really big thrive, um, the little players are disempowered. They have less of a relationship with their fans, but at the same time, you know, from the consumer point of view, it seems like a good deal. Um, 80% of the music you might want to listen to might be available on, on these sites. Uh, and maybe you don't have to look too hard for that other 20% because there's a, a nice, satisfying 80% in there. What are the alternatives that we would build? If, if if I give you money and power to build an alternative digital public infrastructure for music, what, what would it look like?
1: So much of... Um... The, the thinking that has happened in the music industry, like on one hand has been like, how do we fix this? And I don't think that there's anything that any of these companies will ever be able to do to like slap a Band-Aid on it and like suddenly make it work because like you're talking about publicly traded corporations that have no um, accountability to anyone except for their investors um, and what we, re- and you know, So over the past few years, um, there's been, like, a lot of conversation within the music world and a lot of sort of reckoning with, like, artists aren't being compensated fairly um, through streaming services as, like, this major conversation. And I do, I, like, want to acknowledge that I think that something really important has happened where a lot of music fans have... um, started to pay for music more you know throughout the pandemic um band has had these Bandcamp fridays like the first friday of every month that have been these sort of like holidays within the independent music world where um you know people are paying millions of dollars to independent artists and that's great um and i, I feel like in terms of, like, a short-term solution, this is really helpful, right? Like, people who are true fans of music are thinking about, like, how to directly support the artists that um, they care about. But in terms of, like, something, you know, bigger picture, it's still, like, this sort of situation where musicians are, like, going on Twitter, like, yelling, like, please buy my album. And that, in like, that still is something that depends on, you know, um, music having value if someone will individually pay for your record and I think that um there's also like another way of looking at it where like music is um an important contribution to society and we we fund ways of distributing it um you know I listened to the the first episode of your podcast and you I wrote down this quote um, there are lots of things that we ask society to pay for because they're public goods, not because they're turning an enormous profit. And to be able to put music into that conversation, I think is really important and like not something that has historically happened. I,
0: I love that idea because you know when I when I sort of look at the state of the art, um, I look at things like Bandcamp and go, well, th- this is great. You know, it's it's a much better deal for musicians than many other options out there. Um, I know Joe Holt who's one of the people who has, has built it and you know he's terrific and really sort of focused on the artist. And it's, it's clearly a, a smart, thoughtful team. I've been watching some of the platforms that are sort of springing up to help artists through the pandemic. Uh, and I've, I've been indulging my, my, um, my 1990s addiction to Robin Hitchcock, uh, by catching, uh, his weekly shows on stage it and sort of, you know, paying five or 10 bucks for, for an hour long house concert. And that feels like a a step in the right direction, but these all require me to know who I'm looking for, who I want to listen to, who I want to support. There's so many other ways in which we encounter music. Um, The art of the DJ, whether it's streaming in a club or whether it's streaming on a radio station, helping us explore and encounter different things, the way in which music and performance sort of comes into our environment, um, it feels like even if we've done a decent job of creating less exploitative methods to let you support an individual artist, we haven't done particularly well with supporting music as a whole, as a cultural phenomenon as a as a space how how would you you know in the spirit of of digital public infrastructures how you know i i'll i'll give you money and time what do you want to build
1: mm-hmm. well it's interesting because there has not historically been this public support for art like if you said to me like just public money for music mm-hmm. i think the first thing that I would gravitate towards would be um, like venues and independent venues. I know this is um, beyond the scope of digital infrastructure, but. Um Public funding for for locally, you know, to run music venues is something that I think when bands go on tour in Europe, they encounter so much more regularly, and it's not something that has really ever um, happened here. Like venues, studio space, music education, like grants for artists to make records or to um, put on festivals and shows, things like that. Like this is the sort of stuff that I feel like we like really need public funding for. Um, but in addition to that, I also think, so I feel like there's there needs to be public funding for the, the stuff that keeps music communities alive um, and then also, you know, stuff that allows those artists to distribute their work online without anyone making a profit off of it. And I think that that's really what's missing um, is the ability to share your music online with no one making a profit off of it. Because even some of these, um, you know, um, alternatives to the streaming status quo that are done with more of an independent spirit, like are still private companies that, um, you know, they're doing a good job, but I think that in like, in order to fully have like um, healthy public infrastructure for music, you also need some option that is making no profit at all, um, and is solely working in, in service of music as a public good. Um, and, you know, there are like some interesting projects and alternatives and proposals that um I've like heard people talk about over the years. Um, you know, ranging from just more funding for the arts to be put to use for these sorts of projects. Um, you know, uh, I'm not sure how co-ops fit into the conversation of digital public infrastructure mm-hmm. because they do. I don't know. They do. Okay. So, you know, there are a lot of interesting conversations around cooperatives that have been happening in the music world. Um with the, I guess, major one being this thing called Resonate, which is a cooperatively run music streaming service that has existed since 2016, but without, um, you know, as much um, uh, support as some of the other other projects. Um, I also, if this interests any like listeners. There's also like an interesting proposal that was made by um, this person named uh, Henderson Cole who runs this music blog called The Alternative for something called the American Music Library which would be a taxpayer funded um, library for like music streaming sort of in the spirit of, um, like a public library. And I think that is like a really interesting idea as well. Um, and yeah, it's hard for me to say like which one of these projects I would want to see supported because I think it would just be all of them. (laughs) Um, you know, I really, I'm really interested in the idea of um, a cooperatively run, um, streaming service and, uh, a taxpayer funded streaming service that has, you know, I think in his proposal is that the, it would have no, playlists and no curation at all. It would just be like a repository for anyone to upload their music. Um, and I also think that some sort of like artist run, cooperatively run, um, uh, like Bandcamp-like feature where artists could publish and just like sell their music directly would be interesting.
0: One, one thing that crossed my mind when you were you were sort of talking about um, this ability to, to stream and share music in in a way that wasn't necessarily... Centered around revenue, um, is some of the decisions that went into the early web itself. Um, the World Wide Web wasn't the first attempt at a global hypertext network. There's a network um, called Xanadu, uh, which had built into it um, copyright. Uh, paying for everything, compensating creators—you know, sort of making money as as you go along—it uh, never really came to pass. Uh, in part because it was incredibly difficult to implement. Uh, but also in some ways, you know, free as in beer is, is a good way to sell a product. And, and when Sir Tim started building the World Wide Web, he was doing it, you know, in the physics community. That's a community with a very strong set of norms uh, around free access to knowledge. And in many ways, those norms sort of got picked up and, and disseminated. It's really interesting to see the different norms that that thrive or don't thrive uh, when we move into sort of new media spaces, I think one of the things that you said instead sort of your prescription for the future is that music has a lot of locality to it. Um, it really is about communities instead sort of going out and, and having a particular scene having a community that go to shows again and again. Uh, I know that I prefer to go to metal shows in Boston uh, rather than going to them in New York because Boston knows how to mosh and New York doesn't. Uh, these are all things that would be really interesting if you know we, we can find ways to sort of ensure that they survive the pandemic, but also ensure that they survive digitization. And, and whether that includes creating new digital public spaces for music, or whether it actually recognizes that the physical spaces where we encounter music have a digital and a social component as well.
1: Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's interesting because um, I'm super interested in what you're working on in terms of like local digital infrastructure and like, not to like flip the question on you, but like, I'd be really interested in your perspective on like what you think music communities could do um, in terms of digital local public infrastructure.
0: I think it's an amazing moment for it um, because everybody is, is just trying to survive. And I know so many gigging musicians who um, you know, understand that, that this probably can't be the main thing that they're doing to make money right now, but also understand it as so much of, of their identity and their community identity that they have to find ways to keep doing it. I actually think that um, creativity around what it would mean to be a club or what it would mean to, to be a venue online uh, would be an amazing space for people within a scene to be having that conversation right now. Um, how could we jointly work together uh, to figure out who gets to play and how we feature it and how we share it and sort of where we go? The, the interesting thing about this moment is, is that a lot of the old rules don't apply. Um, maybe soon we're gonna have the possibility of of saying this doesn't have to happen necessarily on YouTube or on Facebook. Maybe it happens on spaces that we have governance over uh, and that we're inviting people in to use the tools that we control and we can be fully transparent about how the revenue flows and how the attention flows. Um, so that that would be my hope for the space in some ways. And I guess you know maybe what I would say is, let's not lose sight of this sort of pandemic moment where the systems broke down and we had to think about other ways to do it. This probably will not be the only pandemic of our lifetimes. Um, And we need to think more broadly about what it means to create spaces for music in in digital space. And, And my hope would be that they are spaces that are cooperatively owned by the artists and cooperatively governed, um, so that they're actually making the decisions about what are the rules of the road, how do we share the revenues, how do we share the attention. But now that you're interviewing me, I, 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 I don't really know how we sort of end a conversation here, but, um, Liz, this has just been such a pleasure, and you've you've got me thinking about a whole range of issues um, that that frankly I just hadn't been thinking about uh, around this work. I'm really grateful for it. I'm grateful for your your thought and care um, looking at this space of the audio web. Thank you so much for being with us.
1: It's really cool to get to think about music in in this context of um, you know immense possibility. Like, what would it look like to have? Um, music internet that is publicly funded and cooperatively governed. These are like really big questions that I think the music world should be asking. So yeah, thank you.
0: Reimagining the Internet is hosted by me, Ethan Zuckerman, and produced by Mike Sugarman, who also composed our theme song, Visit publicinfrastructure.org for more information about the launch of our research center at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst in spring 2021. And please subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast.